Amen. Thanks, Nathan. So, let me just talk about what happened just for a moment, okay? And these are good learning moments for, really, for me. So I've been pastoring like 25 years, and I've never had anything like that happen before. Um, and one of the things that I do want you to know is my wife and I, I, I love the Hulk family. I love Mike. Um, I have been in conversations with Mike. I've been texting with Mike. And, um, but I do think that, that what just happened is it's inappropriate for the church. Um, and so I was thinking about, like, really what just happened. There was a, a mix-up in, it, like, more of an old covenant approach to prophecy versus the new covenant and i want you to know if you haven't wrestled with the difference between the old covenant and new covenant we are in a brand new covenant and that that brand new covenant changes everything for us and so here is paul in first corinthians 14 3 he says this about prophecy he says the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. And so when prophecy comes forth, we can actually judge a prophecy, and Paul tells us to judge prophecies according to this standard. So if a prophecy is strengthening, encouraging, and comforting, then we apply it to our lives and we let it stick, and we hold on to it. And if it's not, biblically, we, ju we just let it go. We let it, like, water off a duck's back. We just kind of, like, let it go, okay? And so I'll let you kind of um, wrestle with that one and kind of think through what, what's what there. Um, but I want you to know we love, we love Mike. And I will be in future conversations with him. I'll try to connect with him and try to meet up with him to finish our conversation and to offer grace because if you know in the middle of my own junk and my own sin you know what i want the church to do to offer to me grace right so that's just what we're going to do as a community we offer grace to people okay um and so if this morning if you're here and you're saying well john that seems so scary well it was a little scary but the enemy doesn't want us to walk away scared. John, I feel like it's divisive and division. The, the enemy would love that in our lives, right? The enemy would love for fear to take root. The enemy would love for condemnation to be a part of our church. And like I've put, I've made a line in the sand saying, no way, we can't go there as a community. We are a, we are a new covenant church. We believe in what God has done through Jesus Christ. Okay? So with that, um, yeah, just let's, let's just offer uh, Mike just as much grace as we possibly can um, as I continue the conversation with him, okay? Yeah? Okay. Um, also, I want you to let you know that uh, Tom Dunn, our founding pastor, will be coming in town on Thursday and so he'll be with us the next two weeks, and he's going to share next Sunday. So we're, I'm really excited about that. 
And then pray for the church staff because we're all, the majority of the church staff is going to be going to uh, Colorado, to Denver for the National Vineyard Conference. So we'll be heading out of town uh, this week. And so I do want you to know if you're here and you're saying, John, I have a qu couple questions about what, what Mike said. I would love to meet with you, and I'm sorry that I won't be in town this week. But um, if you text me or email me, we'll get together that next week as soon as I get back, okay? Um, so we are in the middle of this series, and we, uh, last week we started the series, and it, the series is called Religion Saves and Other Things the Bible Does Not Say. Not is the key word. Um, and so today I want to tackle something that um, I feel like has plagued the church for so long, and that is God is loving Therefore, I can do whatever I want to do. God's loving. Therefore, I can just do whatever I want to do. Well, James was explaining to his little sister, her name was Janice, basic Christian theology. And he said to her, You see, sister, it was Jesus' job to sin and die for our sins. And it's our job to sin. That... If you think about it, and, and I don't know if you've ever had that mentality in the back of your head, but it's kind of common in Western culture. Well, it's God's, it was God's job to die for our sin, and it's my job to, to just sin. It's my job description, and, and I think that, that got, that's um, maybe a really um, immature way to understand God's grace in our lives. And so I want to tackle this one because it's a big one. So when I was 14 years old, I was in algebra. And I don't, if I've talked to you about algebra and math, I'm really bad. Like, not just bad, like really bad. In college, I had to double up on my sciences because I couldn't get through college algebra and to, in order to, like, graduate. Um, so that's, and so I was in algebra, and Mrs. Barak... Um, she was this fabulous teacher that just loved, loved me and loved the class. And one day, I was sick, and so I came the next day to take my test, and I thought I was going to take it during class, and she said, we can't do it. How about you just stay right after class or at the end of school, come back, and you can take your test. So I said, okay. So I showed up in Mrs. Barak's class at the end of the day. And I knocked on her door. She let me in. She was just really kind. Um, she's the sweetest lady in the world and so trusting, okay? So at the end of the day, I'm sitting there, I'm staring at this algebra test, and I am not good at algebra. And so I'm staring at it, and I'm trying to get through some of these questions. And then Mrs. Brock says these wonderful, kind words to me. She says, you know what, John, I'm so tired. I was wondering if you could just finish the test and then... Um, just leave it on my desk, and when you go, just shut the door and the lights off. And I said, sure. <laughs> no, I was 14 and fairly immature, and so I said, wonderful. And so she left, and I sat there for about 10 seconds. I looked out the door. She was gone. And then I found another... The, all the kind of the answer key for the test on her desk and I pursued getting 
Well, and I didn't want to get everyone right, so I, <laughs> you, know, you make a couple mistakes along the journey, but I did pretty good on that test. And then I was ready to lay it on her desk and leave when I said, oh, the final exam's coming up for the end of the year. And so, and th sorry, this is really bad. I, this is all the dirt, okay? But I went to her file cabinet and the third drawer, drown, drawer down. I pulled this file out and it said, final exam, algebra. And I was like, oh, perfect. This is true, okay? Now there's only one copy, so what do you do? I was like a spy. I put that final exam underneath my shirt. I went from the second story of the high school down into the library. I photocopied it off because there's only one copy and I didn't want to, you know, then. So then I went back to the room, like making sure nobody's watching me the whole time. It's like a spy movie. I mean, it's amazing. And finally, I, got, I went back to the file, put it in, and then um, I had the final exam. Now, the final exam didn't give, it just had the questions, it didn't have the answers. And I'm not very good at algebra. So what did I do? I talked to my friend Jim, and I said, Jim, can you help me work out these answers? He's like, what is that for? And I said, well, I think it's final exam. <laughs> uh, final exam day came, and about half the class had all the answers. It was horrible, right? I did pretty good. <laughs> I got a 90 plus. And one of the things I learned is that just because God is loving doesn't mean I can do anything I want. There was ramifications for the whole class doing very well. And that's the class curve was shot. And my soul was burdened for years. And you know what happened? And you know what? God did forgive me. But sometimes God says, you know what? You've got to deal with your past. Fifteen years later, I was praying one day, and like this story kept hitting me, and I kept saying, what should I do? And so I called up Mrs. Barak, and I said, Mrs. Barak, and she had retired. I said, I wanted to share a story with you, and I'm so sorry. Fifteen years ago, I stole a final exam. And, I, and she, said, she said, John, where are you now? I said, well, I'm over here. She said, did you go to college? I said, yes. She said, what did you get your degree? And I said, I got my master, or my doctorate, or my, sorry, I got my bachelor's in psychology, and then I went on and got my master's in theology. And she goes, I think you did pretty well. I said, you know what, if you want to change my, my, you know, if you want to give me an F in the class, you told, I'm, she's like, it's okay, John. <laughs> you're, you're okay. Just let it go. But something in my heart, I had to get past that thing that just because God is loving and gracious doesn't mean I can do anything I want. I had to actually, for me, for peace of my soul, I had to deal with it later. Okay. So just because God is gracious doesn't mean we can do whatever we want. And we're going to learn this from, and you can look at all kinds of stories with Jesus and this happening, but we're going to learn from a, a story in John chapter 8 that just because God is gracious does not mean I can do whatever I want. You know, God loves and cares for his kids, and God wants the very, very best for us, and God wants us to grow and mature. 
And when we encounter grace, I want you to know, when we encounter grace, we cannot help but be moved forward. When we encounter grace, grace should propel us forward in a brand new way. So here is John 8, 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. So Jesus was at the temple. Most likely he's in the outer courts where all people could come. Women could go there. The rest of the nations could go to the outer courts. Most likely this is where, actually we're um, 99% positive, this is where Jesus is because of the situation. Okay, a crowd soon gathered and sat down and taught, and, he, and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Now think of this, think of that, that moment. Poor thing, disheveled, ashamed, embarrassed, caught in the act of adultery. And then we look at verse 4. Teacher, they said, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? So the law is clear. This woman must die, according to Deuteronomy 22. And the question that a lot of times when I read this text, I ask myself is, where's the man? Where's the guy here? People normally don't commit adultery in public view, which means, and she was caught in the act, which which suggests this is a trap for her and even maybe for Jesus, okay? For sure for Jesus. So, so, and and if you think about it, the way it reads, you could actually have the Pharisees, the religious elite of Jesus' day, maybe setting up this whole scenario to trap Jesus, because that's what the next verse says. Here we go. They were trying to trap him, Jesus, into saying something they could use against him. Now, if Jesus forbids stoning her, he breaks the law of Moses, and he forfeits his ability to teach at the temple. If he encourages stoning, he breaks the Roman law, which is treason, and he contradicts his whole message. He contradicts seeking and saving the lost. Jesus isn't in a catch-22 here. So let's read what Jesus does. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Jesus wrote in the dust with his finger. What did he write? We don't know. The Bible doesn't say, but maybe, just maybe, He wrote love. Or maybe, just maybe, he wrote a list of the audience's sins or the Pharisee's sins. Or maybe he wrote the Tenth Commandment. Don't covet. Covet your neighbor's wife. Uh, And we read in Exodus 31, 18 that God wrote the Ten Commandments with his very finger. So who knows what Jesus wrote, though? Maybe he wrote the greatest commandment, love God and love your neighbor, and the underlying neighbor. Maybe he wrote grace. Maybe Jesus played (laughs) tic-tac-toe. We don't know. That's the point. And they kept demanding an answer. Jesus, what do you say? What do you think? 
Do you agree with Moses or do you disagree with Moses? And remember, Moses is like the ultimate hero. What do you think, Jesus? Stone her, release her. Come on, choose. And he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When his accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with a woman. The older ones first, they slip away. Most likely they're more aware of their own inadequacies and sin in their life, right? Followed by the younger ones. And verse 10, Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said, and Jesus said, neither do I. I do not condemn you. Do you know that the the Father's given all judgment to Jesus in John 5.22? And Jesus says, I... I do not condemn you. They're not here to condemn you, and I am not here to condemn you. The Son of God, I do not condemn you. And then Jesus said this, go and sin no more. A challenge to her and to us to lead a brand new life. Because she encountered grace and the goodness of God. And because we encounter the grace and goodness of God, we can walk away different people. We can walk away changed. Now, this text reinforces John 3, 17. Jesus is not going to come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. So let me give you a working definition of grace. And if you were with our men's retreat um, a couple months back, um, here's the working definition that Dr. E gave us. God's work in your life so that you can do what God is calling you to do and be what God's calling you to be, which I think is a great definition. Um, Maybe more technically, it's undeserved divine assistance, favor given to us, God's people. It's undeserved favor given to us. It's undeserved blessing in our life, freely given to us, There's nothing we can do to earn that. It's just given to us, okay? And that's a key. Here's, look at Ephesians 2, 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done so that nobody can boast about it. You guys, we're saved by grace alone, not by a single good thing that we can do. And not by abstaining from the bad. It's just God's grace is given to us. And I want you to know, in our church, we believe that it is Jesus plus nothing else. Jesus plus nothing. And I want you to know that so many Christians today, they get so bound up by adding something to Jesus. We want to add the Old Testament law. So we Jesus plus the law. Or Jesus plus good works. Or Jesus plus 
striving and trying to make it in my own human effort, or Jesus plus dead religion. You know what that stuff does? It causes condemnation and fear and, and striving and miserable, miserable people of faith and Christians. Miserable. It is Jesus plus nothing else. And yet that is utterly liberating, isn't it? Jesus plus nothing else. Unconditional grace. It's Jesus plus nothing. Now you have to remember, in Acts 15, at the Jerusalem Council, Jesus plus nothing, do you remember what it did? There was like, it was like explosive the Jewish believers in Jesus said, no, you have to be circumcised. We want to add the law to Jesus. And Jesus said, absolutely no way. Paul said, absolutely no way. You can't do that. It is Jesus plus nothing else. Jesus plus law, Jesus plus dead religion, Jesus plus striving. It only kills the church. It kills the new covenant that God set up with his people. So Jesus plus nothing, I want you to know, it was explosive in the New Testament, and it's just as explosive today. It's just as explosive today, because guess what? We don't think it's Je Jesus is enough. And so what do we do? We start following, well, we want to add some law, and we want to start adding some religious and religious stuff, and, and, and we want to add good works to it to make sure and we start adding and adding. Because God's grace is free. It's 100% free. And I don't know if you've ever struggled with free. I've struggled with free because my dad taught me in life, John, nothing's free. And I've always wrestled with grace and trying to say, God, it's Jesus plus nothing. Because naturally, my heart wants to add something there. It's intuitive to how how I am as a human being. I want to add stuff. But Jesus says, no. Paul says, no, don't do it. God's grace is free. Um, at Grace Church, where I think the name of the church is awesome, at Grace Church in the Midwest, they decided to honor and celebrate volunteers. So they had a, a, a huge celebration, and they had a volunteer banquet after church. And so... In the buffet line, this is a true story, in the buffet line, next to the apples, there was a sign that read this, apples, take one per person. Remember, God is watching. Okay? So imagine going to the volunteer banquet because you gave them your time and service and life for the local church, and you encounter this sign. One apple, God's watching. Now, at the end of the buffet line... There was a whole big plate, like a huge table of all kinds of pastries and cookies and all kinds of yummy things at the end, right? And somebody scribbled in crayon this, cookies, take all you want. God is watching the apples. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love that. The cookie sign is like grace. Take all you want. It's free. Take it. Take it. Receive it. Like, take as much as you want. And so much of the time, though, the church is like the apple sign. 
aren't we? And we have to get past that. The cookie sign is, take all you want. Go for it. Accepting a free gift sometimes is really difficult. For me, Jesus plus good works is natural. But guess what? We are saved by grace alone. Not by a single good thing you can do. So grace is this free gift. And that grace, you know what that grace does? It empowers us to change. And it pushes us forward towards God. Because we've got God's divine favor and we act and respond differently all of a sudden. Because of God's grace, of his love, we can change. We're transformed. I don't know if you've ever just spent a day with Jesus and like and basked in his love. It's really difficult to just go out there and like commit some horrible sin like stealing the professor's final exam papers. It's really difficult when you're immersed in God. When you start like diving into that relationship with Jesus, it's really hard. That's what grace does to us. It puts some boundaries around us, protecting us. Because of God's grace, his love, we're changed, we're transformed. In our response to grace, we can't help but start to live differently. And as we get closer to God, intimacies developed, relationships formed, and there's this desire to be with God and to love God and protect that relationship. So often I think the church because we want to add Jesus plus something else, we have a tendency to not think of our relationship with God in relational terms. And you know what that does? It just messes up our hearts. But all of a sudden, when we say it's Jesus plus nothing, your heart moves to that relationship and your life starts to transform all by itself just because you start loving God and you start wanting to do life with God. Um, I had a mentor in life. I've had several um, that are pastors that helped me, in, especially in my early years. And one of them was a guy named J.R. Cisna. He was, um, I was my first pastoral staff, and I used to love hanging out with him. But he would invite me into his office. I'd get to the office early in the morning, and he would invite me in his office, and I had all this list to do, things that I needed to accomplish. And sometimes he would talk to me for two or three hours and I kept thinking, I, but I have work to do. And he was thinking, but John, you've got so much to learn. And so there I was one day, and I remember he said, John, you know, I've been pastoring, he said, 67 years. 67 years. And he said, sometimes the people in life that you love the very most, sometimes those are the same people you hurt the very most. And he was sharing his story about he and his wife and and some of the pain that he had um, put towards his wife and just mistakes that he had made. So last week we told us that, last week we said that God enjoys us while we are still maturing in the middle of our weakness. And grace is extended. It's enough. Grace extends through our walk with, with God. John Wimber, the founder of the vineyard, said the way into Christianity, the way in pure relationship with God, is the way on, the way to move forward. The way in is by God's grace. The way to move forward in your life to having a deep, profound, conversational relationship with God is through grace. 
It's one continuous action. It doesn't change the moment you give your life over to Jesus. It's not like all of a sudden it's grace getting in and then law once you, once you enter. No, it is Jesus plus nothing, guys, nothing else. So let me talk about the sin issue because that's a big one, right? Today we live in Western culture. There's shallowness, lack of moral convictions. People make decisions as if God doesn't exist. People live their lives as if they have no relationship with God in the church. Is grace enough? Absolutely yes. In dealing with sin, does God just look away? No. Um, And oftentimes we confuse looking away with forgiveness. God does not look away, but God absolutely forgives. In the New Testament, forgiveness is an active, powerful word that means to release. When God forgives, he doesn't just look away from our faults and tell himself, oh, that's just the way they are. No, when God forgives, he releases us from the penalty and the power of that sin. Psalm 103.12, he has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. I don't know if you've ever thought about that scripture. I love it, and I'm going to show you a globe that I found in the office. He's removed our sins as far as the east from the west. Do you know that you can forever go east? If you jumped in a plane, and there was eternal gasoline in that plane, jet fuel, you could forever go east, couldn't you, on a plane? Forever. You could keep going east. Do you know that if you went side to side and jump in that same plane and decided to go west, you could go west forever, right? As long as forever, you could just keep going west. But do you know that if you decided to go north, what happens to a plane as it goes over the the equator? It goes from north, all of a sudden you start going south. And there's a certain point. It's, there's, there's limits there. All of a sudden you go down south and all of a sudden you go over to the other pole and all of a sudden you're going back up north again, right? Guess what? As far as the east is from the west, God has removed and freed us. Absolutely, yeah. As far as the east is from the west. And I know that time's running out. Sometimes, uh, let me jump into one last little illustration. And some of you guys, this part's maybe just a little gross or disgusting. Um, but sometimes I think that God is like a father of a, a whole bunch of babies. And whose diaper's full. And, and I want you to know, you as a dad... You don't just let it go, do you? No, you actually change your child's diapers. Uh, no father says, ah, it's just too bad. Just deal with it. Yep, they're stinky. We'll just, we'll just walk around all day covering our nose. We don't do that, do we? Eventually, now some of you waited a little bit longer than you should have, <laughs> right? But overall, we say, well, let's change our kids' diapers if you've had children. Uh, changing the diaper um, is an important thing as a dad. 
and you change a dirty diaper when the proper time comes, you teach your child to exercise restraint, right? So for many of us, we are old enough spiritually to exercise some restraint and to partner with God's grace to move forward. So I want you to look at this next slide, and I'm going to do it briefly because it is a little bit gross. But is there something wrong here? Is there something wrong? <laughs> is there something wrong with that picture? Yes! Yes, there's something majorly wrong with that picture. You guys, we've been released from the power of sin, and all too often we find ourselves with a full diaper. And you know what happens? We break our Father's heart. We hurt our Heavenly Fathers. All of a sudden, you start to think of it that way, it becomes, we think of it in relational terms. I don't, but God is, I love my father so much that I don't want to go there. I don't want to do that. And just like me when I was 14, just because God is gracious doesn't mean I can do whatever I want anymore. No, go and sin no more. No more dirty diapers. Exercise some restraint in these certain areas. And I do want, let, let, let me say this one thing. Sometimes we just have to offer a, a lot of grace in people's lives because we don't know where people are at. So just like God offers us great grace, let's offer great grace in return over and over and over again. And um, sometimes I think, especially in dealing with new Christians, if they've been programmed by this world for, let's say, 30 years, it's going to take some time. They're like an onion, and they have layers to peel off. And sometimes the church gets far, too far ahead of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we just have to offer lots and lots of grace and lots of goodness over people's lives as they're maturing and growing in their faith. Um, one time, my son Judah, he was two years old. So right now he's 16. Um, I was in getting, working on my master's degree. And I came home from work, and Judah had taken a screwdriver and screwed up, he unscrewed uh, an electrical plate in our bedroom. And he had a screwdriver in his hand, and he had screwed into the wall, into one of the, you know, there's three prongs, there's the, the ground and then the two main, the top. Well, he had screwed a, another screw into the ground, and he had a nail stuck in one of the other two sides. Two years old. He was very mechanically driven. <laughs> um, and I remember I said, Judah, I love you too much to let you die. Like, and I removed him from the situation, didn't I? I would not let him keep playing there. And I think God is a lot like that, saying, no danger. Don't go there. Danger, danger, danger. But I want you to know, the Holy Spirit will work step by step with us. Sometimes I think you need to offer your heart and your life as much grace as God offers your life in your heart, okay? So just be gracious with yourself. Sometimes we hurt the pe very people we love the most, and it's sometimes two of our relationship with God, and we just have to keep moving forward and keep picking up the pieces. Because love without boundaries isn't love, right? It's dysfunctional infatuation. Real love does have boundaries. Hebrews 12, 5 says this, My children, do not ignore the instruction that comes from the Lord, or lose heart when he, s when he steps in, 
to correct you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he corrects each one he takes as his own. Endure hardship as God disciplines and rejoice that he is treating you as his own children. For what children, for what child doesn't experience discipline from his parent? Because boundaries protect us. God loves you. And he wants to protect you. The woman in John 8 is caught in adultery. The whole world is yelling stoner. And hear the Father's heart for this woman in our lives. Is anyone here to condemn you? I don't. Hear that protective father saying, go and leave your life of sin now. No more dirty diapers. Grace has changed her. Not good works. Not dead religion. Not striving. Grace plus something drags us into human effort, frustration, and condemnation every single time. And the, you guys, the entrance to spiritual transformation, maturity in Christ, is grace. And it will always be grace. The way in is the way on. And because of God's grace, we're changed, we're transformed. I want you to know that grace is enough for me and you. Grace is enough. Let me give you a couple practical tips today. Number one, learn to embrace Jesus plus nothing for yourself. Learn to embrace that. Striving, human effort, good works, rule-based religion, move your heart away from a conversational relationship with Jesus. Living the with God life. Practice this by choosing, by just choosing the present life with God. Just be. He loves you just like that. God is a loving parent desiring a relationship with you. Grace is enough. Grace is enough. Number two, what area of struggle and sin needs grace applied in your life? How can you move forward in spiritual transformation? A good place to start is letting go. Ask God to show you what void you're trying to fill. And tell the Holy Spirit you're willing to go there. So many times we segment our life off and we don't give God permission to go to these deeper places. And I think as soon as we start opening up our heart and life, things start to change. God's work gets, uh, it's like we expose ourselves to the light and God shines and starts to shift and change our lives and hearts. And number three, look at those who you are close to and practice offering Jesus plus nothing. What if you did this to relationships around you? What if you started to offer Jesus plus nothing to other people? Wouldn't we be a great grand picture of the love of God to each other? Just be. Just offer a listening ear. Just offer love, patience, kindness, gentleness. 1 Corinthians 13 stuff. The fruit of God's spirit moving through us. Smile, offer a hug. Be the hands and feet of Jesus. Be Jesus. Okay, why don't you guys stand with me? And as we sing this final song, um, actually, why don't, let's do this. Let's have just a moment of reflection before we sing the song. Um, if you guys don't mind, just close your eyes 
And imagine you're at the temple with Jesus 2,000 years ago and ask Jesus what he wants to write in the sand to you today. And just give the Holy Spirit permission to fill in that picture. God, what do you want to speak to me about through that story? Holy Spirit, come. Spirit come. Just let the finger of God write out or draw a picture for you. Now Jesus, we need you. Yeah, grace and mercy, forgiveness, love. Lord, thanks for writing this stuff for our hearts. Help us respond to your spirit. Why don't we have our prayer ministry team come on up? And if you need prayer today, um, we'd love to pray for you. And the first thing I want to say, if what Mike said earlier during worship, if that still stings or there's some pain there or there's some confusion or something is stirred and it's unsettled, I encourage you to get prayer today. Because the Holy Spirit wants to come and encourage you this morning, okay? So that's the first thing. If you're here and you're striving, you can tell your heart is constantly striving and you're not in the flow of God's grace, I encourage you to get some prayer this morning. Um, if you're here and your heart just needs to fall more in love with Jesus, the prayer ministry team would love to pray that for you. Um, during our prayer time before service, we sensed that there was a lady who is downcast and disappointed, and you need hope. If that's you, the prayer team would love to pray for you. And if you need healing for either headache or neck pain, that came up in our prayer time as well. So um, prayer ministry team's up front. If you need prayer, come on up. Let's sing this song together. We'll have our closing prayer in just a moment, but if you need prayer, come on up. Are you